What is Lane doing up at this hour on a Sunday? Doesn't he turn to dust or something if the sun hits him before noon? Oh, he hits tryouts for the high school ski team. He's going up to Mount Brody with Beth. Oh, sure he's going up with Beth. He can't do anything without that girl. I tell you, Jenny, that boy is obsessed. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 110, and our movie this week was the 1985 John Cusack-led Better Off Dead. And joining me to talk about it, because she hadn't seen it before, is Aubrey from the So Wizard podcast, continuing our So Wizard month. Aubrey, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So you had not seen this movie before, right? I haven't. In uh, when we were picking out a movie for me to do, I actually was throwing ideas off of Joey, and and Joey has a whole list of movies I haven't seen. <laughs> so <laughs> he had he chose this one for me because he he figured that this was the best one out of the list for me to do. Nice, nice. Well, funny thing was, I started watching it and I realized. I've never seen this movie either. Which is, <laughs> I, I don't know what I was conflating it with. Some other 80s John Cusack movie, whether it was The Sure Thing or Say Anything or uh, I don't know what. But for some reason, I could have told up until yesterday, I would have told you, yeah, I've seen that movie. You know, it, it might have been a few years ago, but I'd seen it. Nope, not a, not a clue. None of this was familiar to me at all uh, when I was watching it. So it was also my first time watching it. Um, and, uh, yeah, better off dead 1985, um, starring John Cusack and, uh, directed by Savage Steve Holland, which I just love that name. Um, because that's, that's what he's credited as on IMDb is Savage Steve Holland. Uh, so I guess first thing I would say is overall, did you enjoy the movie? We'll kind of dive into that a little bit more later on but was it an okay experience seeing it for the first time or what did you think yeah i mean i really like these types of 80s movies where they're just they're very niche Mm -hmm. as to like they're very 80s movies uh so (laughs) i do always enjoy those so i i did It, it was very interesting yeah it definitely is very much an 80s film there's no getting around that at all um now, the version that I got to watch, it's not streaming anywhere. And it's not even available to buy or rent anywhere, which I found really interesting. Um, but I, I managed to have a DVD copy of it loaned to me. And um, I watched that. And even if it wasn't the the visual quality that made it look like the 80s, all the humor, all the writing, straight out of the 80s. Um, overall, I enjoyed it too. Now... It's a it's led by John Cusack, and I like Cusack a lot. I've always been a fan of his, which is probably why I assumed that I had seen this movie, because um, I've seen a lot of his stuff. I, I don't know what it is about him that I like exactly. Like, I can't put my finger on it, but there's just something, I guess, authentic about him, if that makes any sense. He is very likable. Yes. That is very and true. He- it's hard to not enjoy anything that he's in, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Con Air, he's a lot of fun in, and that movie is crazy. Um, did you ever see um, 1408? The one no, based I on... didn't. So that's based on a Stephen King, uh, and he's, again, he's great in that. Um, he, you know, I mentioned Say Anything and uh, The Sure Thing, and what was the other one? One, um, Something Summer was the other one that he did. Uh, let me find it here because I know One Crazy Summer uh, which is actually also directed by Savage Steve Holland um, the next year so but he's he's just he is he's one of those guys he's very very likable um, even here and he's what I mean he one of the things with the movie that was really strange for the character of Lane though is I had I had trouble figuring out how old is he supposed to be yeah, I, I know he's in high school, but I guess it, it's crazy because in the 80s, they always have like these 30, 
upper 20 to younger 30 year olds always playing these high schoolers. Mm -hmm. It's like an 80s thing. Yeah. And then here, I guess he would have been 19 when he made this because he was born in 1966. So he's right close to that age. But the movie was so weird with like age and how they represented people because he's they show him in high school a couple of times. But then he's also like he's buying bottles of champagne at one point. Um, That's true. Yeah. There's the scene of him smoking in the in the garage when he's attempting one of his suicides. Um, It's weird. Like I have I have some issues with this movie that I do want to talk about. Um, but I like Cusack himself. I really liked in this, um, because again, he just came off as very, um, friendly, like somebody that you would like, even though the character himself, isn't that great? Like he's not, he's not really a good, I I can't call him a good person, but I'm also not going to call him like a completely horrible person because there's some other characters that are just terrible in this. Uh, that you wouldn't want to know. But like Cusack brings something to this character who doesn't have a whole lot. I mean, this movie isn't full of character development. Let's put it that way. Um, oh, also, by the way, uh, Cusack and Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity uh, are fantastic. Both of those movies are. If you haven't seen those, uh, I highly recommend them. I don't think I have seen them. I think I've seen... So I know I've seen him in 16 Candles. Mm-hmm. Um, Serendipity, I know I watched at one point too. Must Love Dogs, uh, I've Stand By Me, Anastasia, of course, where he was the voice actor of in like random other things, but not too many old 80s films, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. He one thing that I really like about Cusack is he's got a very, uh, a varied career, like he's never, he's never been the I'm going to be an action star or I'm going to do rom-coms or I'm going to do uh, only hard-hitting dramas. Like, he jumps around. He does stuff like this. He does, um, uh, you know, like I mentioned, Con Air. That's a straight-up action movie, and he's, you know, he's kind of the lead or secondary lead good guy in that. Um, He did a movie, one of my favorite of his ever is a movie called Identity. And it was uh, 2003, directed by James Mangold. He is so, like, that movie is great. And it's this weird kind of murder mystery. You're not quite sure what's going on. People are trapped at this hotel in the middle of nowhere, California. Um, and then people start dying. And he's uh, he's a limo driver who used to be a cop. He's great in it. Um, but then you see him in, like, the ice harvest. And then he can turn around and do, uh, you know, uh, to meet the voice of Dimitri in um, in Anastasia, like you mentioned, or Serendipity. So I like the fact that he's got a really um, varied kind of uh, history of films and there isn't just one thing that he does. Yeah, he definitely isn't a character actor. No, not at all. Uh, now he's, oh, being John Malkovich was another one um, that he's really good mm-hmm. in as Craig Schwartz. Like he just, it's weird. He's kind of, always John Cusack, but always a little bit different too. I don't, it's weird to describe. Like I always recognize him as John Cusack in whatever role he's playing. Yet I can look at being John Malkovich identity and this movie. And they're three completely different types of characters that he's playing. It's, it's kind of a testament to his abilities, I think. Yeah. I I almost feel like he's, an underdog in a way like he he is famous in his own right but i i think that he doesn't get the credit that he deserves that's true uh i will agree with you on that um i do think that he deserves to be a much bigger uh kind of name than he is but you know some of that is just my uh my love for him as uh whenever i see him on on screen like i'll watch pretty much anything that he's in i i 2012 which i really had no uh no big reason to want to see. I could, I would see because it's John Malkovich or not Malkovich, John Cusack being John yeah. Malkovich in the brain. <laughs> Too many Johns there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's good in this. I didn't realize he was 19 when he made it. So that, that shows a, a bit. I mean, he's got some good range now. Funny story though. Uh, from, from readings things, this is IMDB trivia. So you always have to take that with a grain of salt, right? There's always a little scrutiny with those, but, mm-hmm. 
According to um, the director, Savage Steve Holland, Cusack hated this movie uh, to the point where when they did a special screening of it, um, he walked out 20 minutes in and then got really upset and told the director, you know, you, you lied to me, you tricked me. This movie is the worst thing I've ever seen. I can't believe that, that you um, put this together type of thing and that he would never trust him again. Then he had to work with him the next year for one crazy summer. So <laughs> that must've been fun. Um, I, I can, I guess it would depend on, I'd, I'd need to know more backstory to know like what he was told going into it, what this film, you know, what this was supposed to be, because that is one mm-hmm. of my gripes that we'll talk about in a little bit is kind of what this movie wants to be. But if that's true, that's rough uh, to to not like something so much you can't even finish watching a screening of it and then have to work with that director again because you have a contract and you're stuck. Yeah, it it is very surprising, it, and I agree with you. I I I would like to know like what he was actually told as to what this movie is supposed to be because I don't think I even understood it completely. No, I definitely didn't. And but you know. Ha- you can say all that and it's kind of a testament to his professionalism. He's fine in it. Like there, I wouldn't look at this as being something where it's like, Oh, you can tell this guy didn't want to be there. Like there's some actors that just can't hide that. Bruce Willis is a great example. When he doesn't want to be on a movie, you know, you know, he's there for a paycheck and, and that's it. Um, Cusack just seems like somebody who brings his a game all the time. So, you know, uh, his dad was played by David Ogden, Ogden Ste- uh, Stiers, or St- Steers, I can't remember. I think it's Stiers, um, who played Al Meyer, his father. He might be my favorite thing in the movie. Um, I most know him from MASH, and the funny thing about that is he looks younger in this movie than he did in MASH. <laughs> and I remember seeing reruns of MASH on, I, th- I think it was like Channel 31 where I grew up. And I don't even remember what the actual uh, program was, but I do remember seeing reruns, but I never like really got into the show. Yeah, it was always on reruns when I was growing up, so I ended up watching it quite a bit. And uh, my ex-roommate watched, uh, like, went through and watched the whole thing a couple of years ago when we were when we were still roommates. And so for for probably about two months, I would hear that music every night as he'd be in the basement watching it. Um. <laughs> But David Ogden, Ogden Stiers is in that, and he's he's been balding since the 70s. Um, well, <laughs> sadly, he we, we lost him. He passed away in 2018. But they I don't know if he, he had just grown some hair out and then did a comb over if they gave him a toupee for this. But he looks younger in this than he did in that show, which started in the late... He started on that in the late 70s. Um, but as the dad in this, this lawyer... And I guess he's a lawyer. We don't, I didn't even know that until halfway through the movie apparently, but, um, trying to relate to his son, that, that scene was hilarious to me where he's having the conversation with him. He keeps checking the book, trying to use like slang terms. (laughs) I don't know. I, I liked the dad a lot. Uh, I thought he was hilarious. I thought he had some of the better lines when he's sitting there reading the book as Lane comes home. And, uh, after he's being chased by all the paper boys, which is a, a pretty fun running gag. And, after Lane runs off saying they're all after me, he just looks in the book and sees paranoia and kind of underlines it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was really funny. But he had like, he had all these great, like out, he was an out of touch dad, but not, it's a trope for sure. I mean, this movie is full, like this movie is almost all tropes, but that one was done really well, I think because he's trying to relate, but he's terrible at it. But then you'll have a, a moment like the clip I played at the beginning where he's just like, doesn't he just turn to dust if you see sunlight before noon? Like that to me was really, really funny. Um, so I liked him a lot. He was really interesting because even though his wife was making all these horrible dinners, <laughs> he still didn't like even bat an eye at it. And then there's like that one part where one of them even crawls off the plate. Yes. And the dad just keeps continuing on with anything that's in the scene. He do- he doesn't even make a comment about the wife's horrible cooking. He's he's very supportive <laughs> of yes. her cooking. Yes, that actually is part of why he was my favorite thing in this movie because he's funny 
He's trying to relate to his son. At the same time, you're right. He's supportive of his wife. And let's face it, what, whatever she was making was awful. The, the first <laughs> thing. This is green gelatinous thing. <laughs> the first thing she puts that plate down and he's like, what is this? What's well, bacon? What did you do to it? Like <laughs> that's as, that's as like harsh as he got about her cooking. That and then the second thing where she, it's just the green blue gloop with raisins in it. And she's like, pull, she's pulling it out of the bowl and dropping it onto a plate from three feet in the air. And he pauses in the middle of his sentence just to watch it fall onto the plate. And then she hands it to him and he's just like, thank you. And goes right back into what he was talking about. <laughs> Not breaking stride. Oh, uh, he, yeah. I, like that was great. And of course the running gag of his, uh, his garage door just getting destroyed constantly. So I know, and he keeps fixing it and then it <laughs> gets destroyed again and all and, the windows are smashed out all the time. <laughs> and yeah. And worse every time, like it starts off with just the windows and then all the windows and then the whole door gets ripped off of there. Oh, that was great. But yep. David, David Augenstiers. I'm sad. I'm sad that he passed away, but I think he was in his mid to late seventies. So it wasn't like he was young. Um, and he definitely, I mean, he had a career. He was working right up until he passed. Um, MASH, he was in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, he was Cogsworth in that. Um, did a lot of mm -hmm. voice work for Disney. Lilo and Stitch, Pocahontas. Um, he was on regular show for a while. He did video game voice work too. Um, just a, a great voice and a great presence. So he was tons of fun in this movie for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the mom, Jenny Meyer, was played by Kim Darby. I don't recognize her from anything, honestly. Yeah, um, me neither. Uh, a couple of actors that I did recognize. So um, Beth, the, the, the love interest that dumps Lane at the beginning of the movie, is played by Amanda Wyss. Um, she was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, I think a year before this. Um, but I actually most remember her from Highlander, the series. Uh, she was in this first season for a few episodes with playing a character that I, I couldn't stand in the show. Um, and I always said every, cause I, I do another show where I talk about that. And every time she would come up on that show, I would always say, Amanda Wiss is fine. The character Randy she's playing is terrible. And that this <laughs> kind of proves it because she's fine in this for the couple of scenes that she has, um, but, uh, oh, and Curtis Armstrong is Charles DeMar, uh, Charlie, um, his best friend, uh, probably best known for uh, Revenge of the Nerds, I would say, mm -hmm. um, as Booger, uh, basically playing a version of Booger in this. And he was fun. I mean, that kind of character is always super fun to have around. Again, you sort of play around with like how old he is because they make the joke that he's been in high school for seven and a half years, <laughs> yeah. which did make me laugh. Um and so him being the like drinking beer and smoking and all of that, that makes sense because he's obviously going to be older than 18, even though he's doing these things in school, which was even funnier. Um, but man, he had some weird moments too. Like why was he carrying that jar in the one scene in the, in the classroom? Yeah. With the, it had something alive in it. I couldn't figure out if it was a frog or it kind of looked like a baby. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. I don't know what that was. And it was really weird. Um, oh, that scene, by the way, had one of my favorite character actors ever in it though. The teacher in that, um, mm -hmm. who's just captivating everybody. Vincent Schiavelli. He, we lost it, him too. It was young. a very interesting scene. <laughs> it was. He, to me is fascinating. Um, he, uh, he also showed up in Highlander, but he was in a, one of the James Bond movies with Pierce Brosnan. Um, he was in ghost. If, uh, if you ever saw that with Patrick Swayze, he mm -hmm. is a compelling person to watch because he's just got a very interesting look. Now, normally he plays kind of crazy and very loud and boisterous and like in your face. And in this, it was a weird juxtaposition of that because he's just, captivating to this whole classroom of people. Everybody is just hanging on his every word. And I couldn't figure out exactly why other than he just used extremely flowery language. But mm -hmm. I would honestly, if I had v Vincent Schiavelli as a, as a teacher, I probably would be captivated too, because I love him and everything he was ever in um, for, for a multitude of reasons. 
Uh, and I had no clue that he was in this at all. So he showed up and I think my exact note was just, I wrote out Schiavelli with a bunch of exclamation points. Like I kind of, <laughs> I kind of nerded out when I saw him. That was a really interesting scene because I, I kept trying to figure out why everyone was so captivated when, when he was talking and then he asked uh, John Cusack if he could date Beth afterwards. That and then you weird. see her like in the car with him driving her home. So I was, I was really get thrown off because he wasn't the stereotypical like hot 80s teacher. Right. <laughs> it was a very weird, weird scene. Yeah. I mean, look, I like Vincent Schiavelli. I, I loved him and everything that he was in attractive is not a word typically used to describe him. Um, conventionally attractive, I should say. He's a very unique look. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't be throwing stones about anybody being attractive, but I, I just, I like seeing him a lot. And, and he was just, again, he's only in two scenes, but he's super fun in both of them. Cause what he, if you listen to what he was saying to the class, it was like, it would put you to sleep. And then he's doing it in this very, smooth delivery and he's just everybody's hanging on every word that he has to say like i love that so that was that was super fun to have and and i like seeing uh kind of interesting character actors like skivelli or curtis armstrong or uh, ogden ogden styers show up and stuff like this that's always fun to me because this movie it doesn't work if you don't have that going on i don't think um so, okay, Savage Steve. Oh, oh, Stephen Williams. Okay, that was another one. He was the tree trimmer, uh, the guy that makes the joke about um, Cusack as he goes by in the uh, in the garbage truck, and then the two guys are mm-hmm. trimming trees. <laughs> yeah. The one guy was Stephen Williams. He he's been in a bunch of. Uh, he was in a couple of Friday the Thirteenth films. He was in X Files for a little while as Mister X. Um, the Blues Brothers. That's why he looked familiar to me, but a very young Stephen Williams. There was, um, so Ricky was actually Dan Schneider, who has made a whole bunch of Nickelodeon shows, like The Amanda Show, Drake and Josh, iCarly, mm. all those shows. And uh, he's done a whole bunch of those. So when I saw his name, I was like, Dan Schneider, Dan Schneider. Where do I know Dan Schneider? Oh, Good Burger, Dan Schneider. Oh, Okay. <laughs> All right, yeah. that explains that. I've seen him before, like pictures, because I've looked up, you know, writers of this and that, and I've seen that. That explains that. That's why he looked familiar. That's a weird character. Ricky is... Yeah, I had no idea, like, that Dan had even been in any movies, <laughs> and Ricky was just a very, very odd character. It's interesting, too, that he went on to write so much uh, Nickelodeon stuff because Savage Steve Holland kind of went on to be a director of a lot of uh, made-for-TV kind of younger audience stuff, which is interesting to me because this was this was his first directorial uh, thing, Better Off Dead. And he did this, and he did a movie the next year called One Crazy Summer, Um and then he really kind of transitioned into TV. Uh, he did another, he's, he's done a couple of other films, but it was almost all, it was like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Um, Encyclopedia Brown, he did a lot of The Last Halloween, which was a TV movie. Um, uh, even Stevens, Lizzie McGuire, like Phil of the Future, Zoe 101. So he, he really moved into a lot of Disney Channel and Nickelodeon style uh, stuff. Um, oh, that is really interesting. I think even Dan Schneider did um, Zoe One Hundred One too. So I wonder if he brought him on. That could be for that. Um, he also did some some writing uh, for you know Sabrina the animated series, Eek the Cat. Uh, he was a writer on for an episode for a few episodes actually, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of that where you know. You work on something this young and you get kind of some people that you know and that sort of moves around. Oh, that was the other thing. So the opening animation <laughs> was was kooky, but I couldn't figure out why the style was so familiar looking to me. Steve Holland 
if you were, do you remember the game show Press Your Luck? Yes. Steve yes. Holland was the guy who did all the animations for the whammies on Press Your Luck. Oh, okay. That does look, <laughs> that makes sense then. Yeah. It so, does look like whammies. They definitely did. Um, I think he, he did an okay job. Uh, most of my issues with the movie, it's not bad. I don't dislike it. I, I enjoyed it, but I feel like it was a first project for somebody because it's got mm-hmm. sort of, it's, it's lacking some, some structure and some direction. Um, it, we sort of touched on it already, but we might as well talk. It didn't know what it wanted to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very disjointed and it, it seemed like they wanted to add a whole bunch of eighties tropes in there mm-hmm. and they weren't quite sure how they were going to make the whole story very seamless while doing that. Um, so it was, it was very odd because there's like the, the breakup in there, the young love aspect, the mm-hmm. high school drama aspect, the drugs, the first job. And like <laughs> then there's a challenge for the love uh, against this like hunky jock guy. So yeah. it's like only and then added in there's like the, these weird animation pieces that don't really make too much sense. Yeah, it. It felt like it was trying to do every sort of teenage 80s film at once, but it couldn't pick a direction to go in. And then it, the, the animation stuff really threw me because, okay, so is he, is he just very imaginative and we're not mentioning that? Because no one really talks about his, like him having an overactive imagination, but then we get these weird scenes where he just daydreams all this stuff. And at first, those daydreams were um, just like like footage, like, like filmed, but then his daydreams got progressively more and more, uh, outlandish, right? The, the first couple of times it's like him remembering stuff with Beth and, um, cause it's first, it's their first meeting. And then when he's up on the blackboard, uh, he remembers their, their first time together when the wheels got stolen off of his car while they were in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next time he's in the lunchroom and his drawing becomes animated, and then he's yelling at that. So it's like, okay, maybe he's very imaginative. And then when he's at the job, we get the whole kind of claymation Van Halen music video, which was really strange. And it, so that was a weird thing in itself because it just felt at times like, could, did this movie want to be sort of a John Hughes style comedy or was it going to go more in the vein of like um, Top Secret or Airplane or something like that where it's really you know, um, naked gun where it's just like outlandish, crazy sort of slapsticky comedy. Like it didn't quite know which direction it wanted to go in. And I feel like it could have picked one of those lanes and been a lot better, like focus on any one of those things and try to, instead of trying to put all of it into one movie. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it, I agree. It it didn't feel like it went extreme in one way or the other. So it just kind of was very discombobulated and I didn't really know if it was trying to be funny or if it was funny. Cause it was, I don't know. It's just a, it's a very odd genre because I don't want to call it comedy and I don't want to call it romance, but it is, it's just a very odd, I don't even know how they would categorize it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there, there definitely is romance involved because he, he, he gets broken up with and then he meets somebody new and there's definitely comedy involved. Like all the stuff involving the little brother who has no lines of dialogue in the movie um, and is just like, that felt like something out of almost weird science with the Mm -hmm. little brother, but then you've got sort of 16 candles going on with, uh, you know, with Lane and the girlfriend and you've got, I felt like the whole thing with Lane and Monique was condensed into the second half of the movie. And that should have really been a focus throughout the whole thing to feel more cohesive because it felt like they went from, I don't know who you are, to like it was way too rushed for them to be going you know doing a date at uh the burger joint yeah 
And he still somehow had the keys too. It's... Yep. I actually, that was the thing I wrote down. Like, how does he still have the keys? He got thrown yeah. out of there, but. And, and I was surprised he even got a job there. Cause that's the guy that he kept running his car into. So. Yes. This, this movie loved its running gags. Um, that mm-hmm. is for sure. Uh, some of them worked better than others. Um, I did like the, the, um, crazy, uh, paper boys coming after him for $2. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was funny because I just never, never seemed to stop. Um, and it got more and more ridiculous because first it's just him getting chased down. Then it's like in the middle of the night when these kids probably would be asleep, all of a sudden there's a ton of them. Um, <laughs> and it culminated and they put skis on their bikes and that, everything. That was, that was fantastic. I love that. <laughs> the ski bike thing was so much fun. Like, cause it's just so ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, it just, you know, I, I, I want to tell uh, Savage Steve Holland and I got to, I got to say the whole thing when I say his name. Um, but I, I just kind of want to tell him like, pick, pick a direction, one or the other, like make one movie instead of trying to make every movie, because there were, there were parts of this that were really interesting. I liked the interplay with, uh, as I mentioned with um, the father and the gags with the, the stuff around the house was fun, but like. It goes, it goes to the extreme when you watch the food literally crawl itself off the plate. So it's like, okay, so this is, that's what makes me feel like, you know, something like Naked Gun or Top Secret where it's like so ridiculous as to be cartoonish. But then you have another scene where it's him, uh, it's, it's Lane and uh, Charlie, and he's just trying to learn how to ski down this hill. And that doesn't feel quite as insanely outrageous as it does just sort of like, the teen coming of age type comedy. Um, so it was just, it, it felt, it felt a little disjointed. I feel like, I feel like maybe had I seen this when I was younger, I would have a, a nostalgic attachment to it. And I would like it so much more um, than I do. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I was, I was thinking that while I was watching it, that maybe if I had seen it when I was younger, it it would you know, hit a little bit different. I I do agree with you now that I'm thinking about it. It does. It is a movie built on running gags. And, and I think the only one that does end is like him trying to kill himself. Cause he does, he only tries like maybe three times and then he stops trying. Yeah. It's like three or four times, but he does stop trying at one point. Once him and Monique, start to develop that romance he stops trying to kill himself but i mean the, well, what's it, so it, it, go ahead yeah sorry <laughs> but what's what's so weird about it is if you read the blurb like on imdb it's after his girlfriend ditches him for a boorish ski jock lane decides that suicide is the only answer however his increasingly inept attempts bring him only more agony and embarrassment uh what's kind of strange to me is he gets dumped and we see him sort of try suicide and even mention it but it's it's so off the off the cuff in even the way that they he talks about it with charlie that and maybe this is me thinking about it in turn in like 2021 terms but that just felt I, i i didn't particularly care for that part um, of the story. And it, and it felt like they didn't like either focus a little bit more and make that a more, and like, it didn't feel important, which in a lot of ways kind of takes even more away from it because it's a very serious topic and it's treated like a sight gag. Mm-hmm. So I guess that, that kind of, I don't know. It, it felt weird to me to make that, if that's going to be the the main part of your movie, you, like I would have expected it to be more of a part of the movie. It didn't feel like it really mattered to me. Yeah, it it did feel like a side thing. Like it was, I feel like they made the attempts very serious because you know he did hang himself or he tried to hang himself and then his mom knocked him off the chair and then he's suffocating and. Then he was about to jump off the the bridge, and then he was trying to light himself on fire, and then he was uh, trying to suffocate himself with uh, the carbon monoxide yep. from the car. 
So, like, there's these pieces where he actually seems like he's legitimately going to do it and that he's serious about it and that it's a serious thing. But then they kind of make it into this slight gag where he doesn't, he's not able to succeed. But I don't feel like it's far enough as a joke that it comes across as a joke. Right. And, and you also don't feel like there's any consequences for anything that he's trying to do because he, he sets himself up to, to hang, gets knocked off of there, and then we just cut away from it. So how did he get down? We don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Then when he, the, the lighting himself on fire bit, uh, you know, that, that plays off as a gag where the, the mom from across the street blows herself up because she just drank a bunch of the, the primer and mm-hmm. tried to light a cigarette in the house. And, you know, huge explosion, and she's the only one that's hurt from it. Um, so, it, like, there's never, because it was being played off as this weird kind of slapstick comedy at, at parts, there's no consequences for what any for anything that anyone does. And so it takes away from sort of the gravity of somebody apparently being so depressed at getting broken up with that they want to commit suicide. Even the, the, the line at the beginning of the movie when... Um, uh, Stalin goes down the, the ski run, the K-12. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beth says, you know, oh, he's the only person in in, the, in town that can go down this and not die. And then we see Cusack go down it. You know, Lane tries to ski down it like a half a dozen times the rest of the movie, and he's fine every time, even though he falls yeah. and tumbles the whole way. Like, he just, he's fine. So that's part of it. If you're going to play it as this weird slapstick comedy, that's fine, but don't then try to, I don't, I don't know, like don't try to, to give me reasons to feel bad for this character when I know there's no consequences for anything he's going to do. Yeah, it's almost like the movie undermined itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so a little bit. And the one thing I did remember uh, when we were talking about Beth is the beginning of the movie, how he had pictures covering every inch of his walls. Yes. And then even his clothes were hung up on her head. Yeah. Like on a whole hanger of her body. And I was like, wow, this character is very mentally unwell. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's a few of those in this movie. Um, Lane being one of them. Uh, also, this movie had kind of a, a weird uh, affection for 8x10s. Everybody had 8x10s of their love interest. <laughs> yes. like I was nice. watching this with my boyfriend and he was like, how how do they have so many headshots of each other? Yeah, exactly. These nice, <laughs> glossy, professionally done headshots. Because like Beth has, Beth is taking Lane's picture out and putting Stalin's picture in to a frame. Uh, Ricky gives a framed picture of himself to Monique. Uh, I just, and <laughs> and Lane's got so many headshots of, uh, of Beth laying around. Like I thought that was funny. Like that was a, one of those, where it's so ridiculous, you're like, okay, I get the joke here, and it's it's pretty good. Um, yeah, like that's. I feel a, like they did a lot of that. Take the joke. Um, they take it a little bit far, mm-hmm. like with the eight year old kid who submits all of the cereal box yeah. um, barcodes and stuff or coupons so he can get all of these how-to kits, how to build a rocket, how to do a laser, how to attract trashy women. Like yeah. he gets all of these from cereal boxes. Yeah, that was, um, oh, and that was another actor, by the way, the the mailman um, who I can't remember his name uh, in the movie, but that, that particular er- char- er, uh, character actor, shows up in certain things and he's always kind of funny um anyway but yeah like that's where i'm talking about where there's kind of that weird disconnect with uh because everything that's happening with the little brother is so outlandish i mean lane comes home and here's little brother having a party on new year's eve with like a half a dozen women in his bedroom but the parents don't care at all yet they know they know a lot of what's going on with lane so yeah it was it the movie's got some weird kind of quirks to it, but I can also understand why if you saw this in the eighties or you saw this when you were young, um, it could have that nostalgia for you because it's definitely got its moments. I loved the running gag. It's a bummer that in the trivia, what I read about it, but the running gag of the, the two brothers that he's always drag racing with for no reason other than they're just, 
they seem to always be sitting in a stoplight waiting for him. Um, that, that was funny because it didn't fit into a, it didn't feel like it fit into a stereotype, but it had a funny gag to it where the one brother doesn't speak any English and the one who does learned everything from wide world of sports. And so he just sounds like Howard Cosell because that's how he (laughs) learned English. Like that to me is a funny joke because it does, they don't have to be the reason that it doesn't feel like a stereotype to me is that could be any two people, right? That, Mm -hmm. that particular gag works no matter who it is in the car. But that to me was funny. Now the bummer of it was that I read in the trivia that the, the actor uh, playing uh, the brother that spoke like Howard Cosell, like watched a bunch of wild world of sports and worked on a Cosell impression, but with a little bit of an accent in it. And then they ended up dubbing that over with rich little doing his Howard Cosell impression. Um, so I kind of feel yeah, bad for that guy is. because of all the work he did, but that was, that to me was a funny gag to, to have that going on. Like, and I want that type, like I want everything in the movie to feel like that. Right. Like, mm-hmm the stuff that worked for me was the, the kind of crazy outlandish stuff like the brother, like those, uh, those guys in the car, the dad, the, the crazy stuff that mom made for the food, or even the, the Christmas gift, the aardvark fur jacket. (laughs) And, and that joke paid off so well because that thing was ridiculous. And then what makes it work isn't, isn't uh the dad's reaction to it it isn't how outlandish that thing is it's the two second shot of the neighbor wearing the same thing at the end of that scene that's what made that that joke work that was amazing it was so good (laughs) and they just look at each other merry christmas and you move on like that that is funny that is funny writing and that's the kind of those are the kinds of jokes that work taking a subject like being suicidal and turning it into a joke but yet also having like real attempts at suicide was, did kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, yeah. I feel like they could have made them more ridiculous if they yeah. had pushed them in a more, either way, if they had pushed the screenplay to reflect the seriousness of it, or if they had pushed the attempts to be more comical, yes. it would have been, it would have been better. And and the only other thing that really kind of got under my skin a little bit was, and this is a very 80, like that, that in itself was an 80s type of thing. Um, but also the stuff with Monique and Ricky started off semi-innocently where it's like he's awkward and she's uh, an exchange student and the mom is trying to set them up. But the scene where she's standing out front and she's just chucking lemons into that sign uh, with the worst looking form to throw something I've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> like that was, a, that was a dislocated hip, shoulder, and elbow uh, every time she threw. But, but that, that aside, that scene when, when she reveals that she can speak English and then she starts talking about Ricky and how he's just constantly trying to sleep with her, that's a thing that in the eighties is kind of uh, looked at very differently than it is today. And so that was sort of, that was one of those where I'm like, Ooh, that's kind of icky. And then the thing that bothered me was at the end of the movie, Ricky gets a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Cause some, yeah. And, and she had also like made that comment where she's like, and he keeps rubbing his testicles all over me. <laughs> Yes. And then he corrected it and said tentacles. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a little bit too close for comfort for me. Yeah, like that was one of those where it's like, that wouldn't fly today being in a movie uh, to mm-hmm. have that sort of an arc go on. Um, and then on top of that, like I, and I had, I, I mean, I literally wrote a note like, hey, no, Ricky doesn't get a happy ending. That's not, that doesn't work. Um, and that so that kind of bugged me. Now, there is a term uh, that was coined by a podcast called Film Sack of a chick in the bucket, which was it's basically uh, a character who sort of disappears and you never find out anything about. And it was coined from uh, Wild Wild West. There's a scene in the beginning of the movie where Will Smith is in this water tower 
with a woman <laughs> with the random girl yeah and then she's just never talked about again throughout the whole movie so they they coined the phrase based off of that and this movie was just full of that um like there were so many characters like charlie disappears for half an hour in this movie and i had written down a note like i wonder what happened to charlie and then boom he shows up out of nowhere for no reason just to like break a moment of are they going to kiss and then suddenly charlie just shows up and we hadn't seen him for 20 or 30 minutes um the the teacher part because that was another thing so you mentioned how the teacher has this whole scene and then he asked uh lane at the end of it hey do you mind if i date beth or take her out (laughs) and that was strange but then later on there's this scene where um he comes home and he imagines that Barney Rubble asks him the same thing from the TV. So that makes me think that, you know, okay, maybe he's like hallucinating this kind of stuff because he's so hung up on Beth. But there's also the mm-hmm. scene that you mentioned where you see the teacher drive by with Beth in the car with him. So it's like, is he imagining that too? Like, that's the kind of stuff that was sort of weird for me. Like what was supposed to be his imagination and what wasn't? Yeah, nothing was very concrete in this movie. You, you <laughs> no. had no way, idea either way for anything. No, and you know, it's it sounds like I'm ragging on this movie a lot and I'm I'm nitpicking, I'm sure. Like I, you know, I need to uh I need to just kind of shut off my brain and listen to Red Code who's like, "Look, there were a lot of drugs being done while they were writing movies in the 80s." And that's true. That's true. <laughs> there was a lot of cocaine being done in the mid-80s. I understand that. But even for all these complaints I have, like I enjoyed the movie. I can see why so many people do like it. I, I'm kind of surprised that I hadn't seen it before. Um, it's just not very long. It's an hour and a half long. You know, it's pretty standard for a comedy. It just, I think with rose colored glasses or kind of hindsight being 2020, like I feel like this could have been a lot better and you can tell this is a first film for a director. So that that's sort of where I, I land on that. Like it's enjoyable, but man, with this cast and with some of the gags that they had, like this could have been a really you know seminal '80s uh, comedy instead of oh yeah, it was a comedy in in the '80s. It's it's fine type of thing. And this is the same year as Back to the Future, so you know it's one of those things. Yeah, and it was a really good time for movies, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I also liked how uh, this came out the same year as Back to the Future, and it sort of had a similar opening, because Back to the Future, if you remember, has that opening where it's panning along, looking at all the pictures and all the stuff in Doc Brown's place, and then it kind of ends on the alarm clock. And this movie mm-hmm. did the exact same thing, and it came out the same year. So, uh, I, I almost feel like that's a lot of 80s movies opening. is like <laughs> the the start of a day for <laughs> Yeah, kind of. And time was weird in this movie too. I think that's my only other real complaint is time was like, we go from, we go from a scene and suddenly it's Christmas Eve. And then, and then it's like, and some of that is because it was, you know, it's set in California, but he's a skier. So he's going up into the mountains to ski. So there was, it was weird to to figure out the passage of time because did he graduate high school? Was he a senior and then he got a job or did he, did his dad get him the job while he was still going to school? You know, there was, mm-hmm. there's, there's stuff like that that I kept asking myself that question. So. Yeah, I, I had asked myself that question when he took Monique out on the date. And then, they, like, they were working on the car. And then he's like, oh, no, tomorrow I got to do the skiing competition. And then all of a sudden they're on a date. And then they're practicing skiing. And somehow that rolls into noon. Right. Like, <laughs> How early did they wake up? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Oh, and one other trope that this movie had, and I'm curious if this is the origin of this trope or not, is Monique. Monique is a uh, textbook manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> and the weird thing about that is I didn't think that trope really happened until later on. And maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't remember a lot of 80s, that that trope being done in the 80s. That felt like more like late 90s, early 2000s with like Natalie Portman in Garden State or Zoe Deschanel and almost anything she did. Um, 
Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and she absolutely was like, she, she was this character who, you know, opened up lane to new, to new ideas and could do everything. You know, she's a baseball fan and she can fix a car and all this. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting to, to have that. Cause it's at one point I, I stopped the movie and I was like, she is a straight up manic pixie dream girl. And I don't remember that being an eighties trope at all. Yeah, I do feel like it was a little bit more 90s because in the 80s, you you immediately think mostly of Molly Ringwald. Right. And she definitely was not that way. And if I think of that, I think more early 90s with uh, what's that movie with the. I can never remember the name of it, but it's it's a movie where a girl plays football Instead of being the cheerleader, but she's like a younger girl. Just one of the boys? No, was it? I always think of this scene where she's like throwing or she's eating powdered donuts in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And she sees this kid throwing toilet paper across uh, the groceries. I can never remember the movie, but um, I want to say... Oh, oh, I know what movie you're talking about, and I can't think of what it is. I I can never remember the name of it, but I always think of that scene. But I always think of girls like that, and they're mostly in the 90s, I feel like. So this really is probably the earliest. So, yeah, earliest example you could think of. Yeah. uh, Now, the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl scrutiny because it's on Wikipedia, but this was just a quick Google search was coined by a film critic named Nathan Rabin in 2005 for Kirsten Dunst's character in Elizabeth town. So that's a full 20 years after this movie came out. Um, and said he, the, the term was for a character that exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. That's exactly what Monique is. And I mean, that that's precisely what she is. So this was essentially that character 20 years prior to the, the term coming out that I find interesting because that is something like, I wonder if some of these writer directors that were putting, you know, characters like Natalie Portman's character in garden state or Kirsten Dunst in Elizabeth town. Um, if they saw this movie and took something from it, or if it's just happenstance that the way that this character was written, and how how things evolved, but it was definitely something I noticed, and I can't unnotice about Monique. And Monique was a fun character, but she's totally exactly that. She was really funny too, where she does she pretends like she can't speak English, and then all <laughs> yes. of a sudden she does, and she's like, "Well, would you want to speak English with these people?" <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yes, she was. She was my second favorite part of this movie was Monique um, after the father because. Just the, the, the goofy stuff with the dad killed me. Um, but I, I just, I liked her overall. So, and, and I thought she did a fantastic job. Um, this is, a, you know, it, it's not a bad movie. I definitely would recommend seeing it, but kind of temper your expectations if you haven't seen it before. Um, that it's not, there were definitely parts though that I did laugh out loud. I mean, I will say that. I, I had a good time with it. It's just I, from the critical standpoint, And I think the further away from it I get from this first viewing of it, the more I'll kind of like it because I can sort of be like, okay, so I know, I know to shut my brain off and just kind of sit back and enjoy it because it's a mid eighties comedy, um, with, with John Cusack in it. So, you know, uh, it's kind of what it is. Um, I do have a couple of clips I want to play because they were too funny not to, um, (laughs) I, I always, so when I, when I watch movies and especially for this show, um, I'm always looking for, for funny things to clip that I can throw on a soundboard and maybe use at some point someday. Um, and one of those things that I always get are laughs and Charlie had a great laugh that, that was a funny, uh, another one of those actually made me laugh out loud moments where, um, Stalin comes up to him at that dance at the new year's Eve dance. And he tells him, Oh, you guys are the cutest couple, but, uh, you know, Lane, you might want to shave her a little closer before you kiss her. And Charlie's reaction to it was priceless. 
<laughs> yes, I did love that scene. <laughs> because because he kept it like that was a joke that they ran over the, over that entire scene just the right amount for it to still be funny because he laughs at it uh, there. But then the next time you see Charlie is him just randomly showing up next to Stalin, still laughing about the joke. And that was funny. And that's, that's all Curtis Armstrong. Like he just nailed that, but his laugh was hilarious. And so I have to, I have to play that because it's too good. Cause I love fake laughs like that, either when they're uproariously funny or if they're like Nick Cage, where you can tell how fake they are. Uh, that one's kind of right about both. So I couldn't help that. Um, I did. Oh, uh, this is how I'm now going to get out of any conversation that uh, I don't want to talk to somebody on the phone. I got to go. The Christmas tree's on fire. <laughs> I'm just going to use that. That's, that's so good. Um, if the movie didn't look 80s enough, boy, did this tell you it was. He's so boss. I cannot tell you the last time I heard somebody call something boss. I don't even remember if that got used much in the 80s, but... <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, oh, this last one I'll play because this was too good. Uh, this one. Your main wiener man. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> like riffing on his name, but calling somebody your main wiener man, that cracked me up. Uh, you know, and there was some very funny parts to this. I mentioned the brothers in the car. That gag was a good running gag. I even liked how the very end of the movie continued the $2 gag. Um, I kept waiting to hear just like the last thing in the movie be the kids saying $2 when they're sitting in the middle of uh, Dodger Stadium and then you see the yeah, kid riding his bike across it. the car. And- <laughs> right, yeah. That, that's, again, you gotta, you've got to park your brain, right? Because like how did, there's so many of those things where you're questioning, like how did he get back into the restaurant? Like how did he still have keys for that? How did he get into Dodger Stadium? And then how did the kid get into Dodger Stadium as well? Uh, there's there's a lot of that in here. And again, that's those are the types of things where it feels like, um, and I mentioned Top Secret a lot, but Top Secret, Airplane, uh, those kinds of movies, those sort of, I think it was Zucker Brothers maybe, um, mm-hmm. where they're just like super slapstick comedy. Like those are the types of things that this that that made it feel like that, but then they didn't quite go far enough. So... I don't know. I I think it's still worth seeing. Uh, Sounds like you kind of agree with me. Yeah, definitely. I think if you see it on TV or you see it on a streaming service, it's definitely a good movie to have seen. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that Joey picked it because it it definitely was was much more entertaining than anything I can think of that Joey would subject me to. So, <laughs> well, what's funny is I put on Twitter earlier today, like, Hey, I'm watching uh, better off dead for tonight's show. And apparently I've never seen this before. And the response from Joey was like, it's a classic. So <laughs> he very much likes this movie and I don't want to make it seem like I didn't like this movie. Cause I did. It's just, I had a lot of weird, like, huh moments and questioning of it that, that just made me think more than, then, and I think some of that is because realizing I hadn't seen it and not really knowing what to expect at that point. And so having seen other, other comedies of this era, I feel like were more focused. And I think, mm-hmm. I think Savage Steve Holland writing and directing this and apparently a semi autobiographical, like some of this was kind of from his growing up, like the, the, the whole bit with his mom giving him uh, TV dinners for Christmas because of like, <laughs> Oh, you like the, this has the chocolate pudding in it. And you liked that. Um, I guess that's, that's from his life growing up. That was something that his mom did. So there's some sort of, and, and apparently the, the concept of his high school girlfriend dumping him and getting depressed and suicidal from it was from his actual life. So there's some of that. I just feel like this was, this was definitely a first effort for somebody and it just, it needed needed some polish to, to make it like a, a classic in that mm-hmm. sense for me. I can me. see why it has a cult following. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. I totally get that. And honestly, had I seen this at, I would have been too young to watch it in 85, but if I had seen it, you know, a few years later, um, I absolutely would have been part of that cult. Uh, I, I don't doubt that at all. 
Um, but it's still, it's still worth seeing. So, you know, that, that is kind of what it is. Um, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it. So, uh, I guess we both have to thank Joey now for choosing this. Yes, definitely. Now we mentioned Joey in the So Wizard podcast. That's the show that you do. And, uh, apparently you guys have not missed a week of doing that show in some capacity for uh, like a thousand years or something. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. We're going on six years this year and we have not missed a single week. And honestly, it's, it's crazy that we've even managed to do that. I think it's the biggest commitment I've ever done, honestly. I mean, look, from as one uh, podcast producer to another, that's impressive because I'm, I'm just over two years. I haven't missed a week yet, and I can't imagine hitting six years without taking a, a single week off. That's impressive. So tip of the hat to all it, of you for that. Yeah, it, it's definitely been. I mean, there are some weeks where, like, I have to miss it for different reasons or Joey does or, or Mark does. But, I mean, there there was one week where we were really close to missing it. And they actually drove to my house and we recorded <laughs> in my living room because <laughs> wow. we thought we weren't going to make it. And uh, so it's it's been a crazy commitment on us all. And I, I almost feel like now we've gone this far. We can't let it go. <laughs> right now it's a badge of honor. Now you're just like, OK, yeah. it, it's time to you, it's time to just flex and be like, yeah, seven, <laughs> seven years, 10 years. We ain't we ain't missed a week yet. You know, yeah, that, yeah. look, it's impressive and it's a fun show. So I definitely recommend, and I have for the last couple of weeks, recommend people seeing it. You know, it's, it, it's been great because talking to Joey about Jaws was a ton of fun. And then Adam was on last week and you're on this week and, um, Mark is on next week. Mark, is that, do I have that? Yes. Right? Yes. You're going to have a lot of fun with Mark. He is such a, a movie person that oh, I mean, he, he's great. <laughs> That that's gonna be fun, and this was a fun. This was fun for me to do, kind of a another show coming in and doing almost like a takeover for a month of just a month of guests from this other show. So that was this has been fun for me, uh, I, and I hope it's been fun for everybody uh, so far. Um, I hope that you've had a good time because I definitely have, and you are welcome back anytime. Uh, I can I should just talk to Joey and occasionally be like, hey, got another movie for Aubrey to to watch. <laughs> Let's, let's take a yeah, look at that list. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because it's it's been an ongoing thing, too, where everybody tries to get me to guest on their shows. But I'm so busy and hard to, <laughs> to get in that you you happen to, like, catch me so I could schedule weeks out. And I'm like, okay, I, I can do this. <laughs> so this is actually, like, the first show that I've guested on. <laughs> Well, then I am honored to have you on as a guest, and this has been a ton of fun. Um, thank you so much for coming on this week and, and talking with me. And look, we both got to see a movie we hadn't seen before. I thought I had. I was dead wrong, and you had. You definitely hadn't, and we both enjoyed it. So yes, that's always fun. definitely. So, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, where can people find the So Wizard podcast? Just to, to remind so them. The we're on every single podcatching app that you can even think of. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, everything, honestly. Sometimes I am surprised by what we're on. It's <laughs> it's like all these new streaming places will pick podcasts and somehow we're on it. And so it's really fantastic. Any podcasting app that you have, we are on. You can always go to sowizardpodcast.com and catch the shows there as well. Excellent. Well, yeah, definitely, folks. If you uh, if you want a good show to, to check out, check out So Wizard, and they've got an extensive back catalog, so you got plenty of episodes to listen to. Um, that's really cool. Now, this show I record uh, Sunday nights at eight p.m. Um, and I stream it live on Twitch, Twitch.tv/tvstravis. So if you want to hang out in the chat room like DH Dunn or Red Code or Nisbet, um, and kind of chat and yell at me while I'm doing the show and harass me because they, they really enjoy doing that. I do read the chat and I have a lot of fun with that. So uh, definitely come hang out for that. The show comes out on Wednesdays and it's, it's available anywhere you can get podcasts. The easiest way to get it because I gave it the worst name in history um, is at tvstravis.com slash subscribe. And from there you can subscribe to it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I think Spotify is one. I know the RSS feed is there. You can drop into whatever podcatcher you like to use. Um, if you do uh, get it through something like Apple, um, if you can leave a, a rating um, 
and may, maybe even a review, it does help to make the show more discoverable. So that's another way to kind of help support the show as long as well as uh, spreading by word of mouth. Um, and I truly appreciate that. So uh, this will be out on Wednesday, and um, until until then, so uh, so Aubrey, thank you again for uh, for being on. This was a ton of fun. Yes, and, thank uh, you so much. <laughs> absolutely. And next week, I've got Mark on to finish out the So Wizard April, uh, and we're going to be talking about Event Horizon, and I can't wait for this. Um, I have uh, I have some personal history with this movie that'll be uh, that'll be fun to talk about. And uh, somebody who hasn't seen it before getting to watch it for the first time, I'm really curious uh, how that happened and um, what he thinks of it. So that'll be really, really fun. So come on back next week and, uh, and check that one out. But um, thank you again, Aubrey. And, uh, and remember, what I like to say to everybody is to enjoy your movies and um, you know, be excellent to each other because we all need that right now. There's been weight you haven't seen. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>